0: Hold on one second. I'm gonna fix this. All right. This is how I'm gonna fix it. Putting the uh, that back in. A little technical difficulty. back in Psalm 19 this morning, Psalm 19, and believe it or not, as I look through this section of scripture, I had planned on preaching Psalm 19 in its entirety last week, only made it through verses 1 through 6, and then I studied through uh, the evening last night, and My manuscript only went through verse 7, and I was sort of surprised, but there's a lot there and a lot to talk about. What I want to do is encourage you as we're starting 2014 to meet with the Lord, to meet with the living Christ. If you could meet with God in a personal way, face-to-face with God, and have an encounter with him, would you do it? What sort of emotions drum up in your heart as you think about coming face-to-face with God? We're all going to meet him one day face-to-face in heaven. What comes to mind? Are, Are you fearful? Anxious? Do you picture yourself disintegrating before his holy presence? Are you sort of wanting to shy away from an encounter like that? Do feelings of guilt rise up in your heart where you say, I've sinned in so many ways and am constantly sinning. I don't look forward to that kind of encounter with the living God. On the other hand, perhaps you are sort of, sensing the grace of God in your life and saying to yourself, I I look forward to that encounter and am excited to go there and am joyful and would would fall at the feet of the living Lord and thank him with 10,000 reasons to offer thankfulness for the blessings that God has poured out into my life. Is that your disposition? Are you more confidently, boldly wanting to approach God face to face? Perhaps you're somewhere in the middle That's probably where all of us are and live, and maybe curiosity kind of draws you towards the thought of encountering God face-to-face. Well, this is a very, very practical and real question um, that I pose to you as to whether you want to meet with God, because not only will you meet Him face-to-face one day, you as a believer are commanded to meet with Him regularly. To encounter the living God on an ongoing basis, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, you are supposed to, as a believer, relate with God. And there's a real reason for that. God has revealed himself personally to us. And we talked about last week how God, from Psalm 19, has revealed himself to all of creation Through general revelation, through creation, his glory, his divine attributes are communicated through what we see and experience around us by what God has created. And we learned about that last week. The heavens, verse 1, declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. We learned that through creation, the glory of God is on display. Uh, It's happening every day. We learned that it's without words. It's a visual communication by what God as creator has created. Uh, It's to everyone, and it's inspiring, and it also holds us and all the world accountable because God is speaking through what he has made. And so we have a choice to make. Are we going to follow God? Are we going to know this God, or are we not? Now, by the utter and sheer mercy of God, God has given us a second kind of revelation. And this is the revelation that it's offered to everyone, but it is only received by those who receive the living Christ, who God opens their heart to see that this kind of revelation, the revelation of Holy Scripture, is God's personal revelation to his adopted children this is called special revelation there is general revelation that is God revealing himself through creation and just by way of review now Psalm 19 in verse 7 picks up on describing special revelation Bible God has spoken and this is the living word of God that never goes out of style it's never irrelevant it's always relevant It is the holy, inspired, inerrant word of God that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces right into the soul of every believer. Everybody who believes experiences the convicting power of the living word of God. And that's what I want to talk to you about, that finding God is to search for him in holy scripture for you in 2014 to ignore the word of God is to actually ignore God himself who speaks through holy scripture I want to encourage you get in your Bibles this year 2014 it's a good opportunity for you to say okay Uncle, I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to meditate on it. Not in a perfunctory way, not in an academic way, but in a real, living, communal way where you are communicating and being communicated with the living God in your life. Make the choice to meet with God every day this year. You know, I, I was impressed by a book that I alluded to uh, before. It was, it's written by Al Mohler. It's called Words from the Fire, and it's a book that is describing the Ten Commandments and how they apply to our world today. And as you will recall, God met with the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt at Mount Horeb. They were just, you know, a few days' journey from the promised land at that point, right? I mean, it was, it was not years and years to journey to the promised land. If they would have followed the Lord in obedience at that point, they would have gone there in a few days. And so God, by sheer mercy and grace, revealed himself to the children of Israel at Mount Horeb and revealed himself in the fire, giving to them the Ten Commandments. And the point that Al Mohler makes in the introduction of that book that I'm I'm reading now in preparation for the men's conference, hint, hint, commercial, is to say say that the fact that God chose to reveal himself is the mercy of God in our lives, because he didn't have to do it. He's God. He could have chosen to be a non-communicative God. He could have chosen to stay to himself, but by him revealing himself, even in a personal way in special revelation through written words that we could hear and read. That is a personal communication. And guess what? It's not just personal. It is a saving communication. It's a redemptive communication to our hearts. So I want to take us back um, a few chapters. Turn with me back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter four. this is where God revealed himself to the children of Israel at Mount Horeb. Just a little bit of a um, you know backlog uh, sort of commentary on Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy means second law, and the timing of Deuteronomy is this it 's the children of Israel had rebelled against the Lord they had basically rejected the Ten Commandments and followed their own ways, even worshiping a golden calf, as you'll remember, and they experienced great judgment. And so they wandered in the wilderness sort of complaining but persevering. At least the second generation was ultimately persevering towards the promised land. So for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness, and then Moses had rebelled, so he's not going to enter the promised land. But Moses reiterates what he had already written, which you can find in the book of Exodus, but, you know, the book of Exodus chapter 20 is where you find the 10 commandments. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he writes the 10 commandments again. And so it's called second law. It's it's the law that's reiterating what he'd already written to them that they're supposed to carry in obedience into the promised land. That's Deuteronomy. And so Moses, even though he's not entering into the promised land, in Deuteronomy 4 sort of sets the stage Um, for what they experienced 40 years ago when God revealed himself and gave the Ten Commandments. Verse 10. Moses says, how on the day, this is Deuteronomy 4, verse 10, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. So we're talking about the word of God, it's revelation, it's personal it's a communication of children of Israel, and it is to teach and train the hearts of the parents, the grandparents and the children to fear the Lord. In other words, have an a awe-reverential, a awe-filled, reverential relationship with the Lord. Verse 11. "And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven. Wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you this covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. So again, uh, I wanted you to just pick up on the fact that the word of God came by mercy. God did not appear, as verse 12 says, in form. He was instead speaking audibly out of the fire that was going all the way up to heaven off of Mount Horeb. And this spoken word is not to be taken lightly. This spoken word was the grace and mercy of God that was teaching believers to fear God as they possessed the new land. He uh, sort of reiterates this point in verse 33. Just pick up on this. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? What a question. God is a consuming fire. They were given mercy to hear the word of God. Verse 36, out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of fire. I hadn't really thought of this. I, you know, I, as I studied Psalm 19, I, I was sort of re-grasping with what treasure we have in the word of God and what it means to me. I've you know, given my life and heart to studying scripture. Um, I get to do it a lot. Actually, the greatest benefit I receive from studying Scripture is found in a quiet time that I have. It's where I meditate on the Word of God for my own heart. And I'm always surprised by the adventure of studying Scripture, about what the Lord's bringing up in my life, even as I study books of the Bible, not anticipating what He's going to bring up in my life, but as I go to certain themes, it's like, oh, ouch, aha, yeah, I needed to think about that. And the word of God and communing with God and meditating on God's word and talking to him about what he's doing in my life is a very dynamic, living, and powerful discipline and and journey in the Christian life that we should all undertake. But I never thought about the fact that out of that discipline and out of the blessings that he's given me and having quiet times, how much of a grace and a mercy it is at a foundational level that he revealed himself to us at all. It's amazing. Listen, if God had not revealed himself to you and to me, then we would not know that we are sinners. And if we did not know we were sinners, then we could not repent. And if we could not repent, then we could not see our need for the gospel and receive the mercy of God and his grace in our lives. We, we wouldn't know anything about anything in terms of eternity and being a child of God without the sh- the the revelation of God, that gift that's given to us. So we dare not take it for granted. Uh, So out of the Old Testament, just to bring us to the New Testament, God revealed himself even more clear to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, right? The reason I bring him up is, listen, by example, the living Christ, guess what he did? He pointed his disciples to the word of God. That's amazing to me. That always strikes me when I think about that. Here you have the living incarnate second member of the Trinity, and he does want glory. He does want focus, but he's equipping disciples to follow him by following the teachings, all that he's commanded, as Matthew 28 says, following the word of God. In Matthew 4, when Jesus Christ was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, why did he do that? He did that to make the point that you don't just live by physical food. You don't just live by physical sustenance. You live by the word of God spiritually. And he's making the point in that fasting for 40 days that the word of God is more important than food. Matthew 4 verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Job said it this way in his suffering, the word of God is more than my necessary food. Jeremiah said, uh, this is the word of God, and I did eat them, these commandments. uh, Men of God, women of God have lived for all the days of believers and the New Testament church. They've lived on the word of God. Powerful Christianity is word-based Christianity where you know the truth, and you understand what God wants you to do, and he's communing with you in a living way by the Bible. A lot of people are taking the Bible for granted. I, I don't mind, and I actually appreciate technology and how the Bible is... You know, on the web, it's accessible, it's on your phone, it's on your iPad, it's, it's, it's there for you. I use, it, I use computer technology with the Word of God every week studying the Scripture. I'm always Googling cross-references, finding something, and the accessibility of the Word of God is awesome. But sometimes I think it's easy to forget that um, actual physical books that, that are the Bible bound together are books that people have protected and had to give their life for. I held books that were, um, you know, five Bibles that were 500 years old a year ago and looked at them and, I mean, these actual Bibles were ones that were smuggled during the times of the Reformation where Bloody Mary was killing men and women for having their own copy of the word of God. I mean, you got to hold with great value this treasure that we have, which is God's communication to us now back to christ Um, one example of jesus value another example of jesus value in the word of god is the story of jesus post being raised from the dead where he met the two on the road to emmaus remember that story luke 24 he's walking along and and he's communicating with them and 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 he's sort of you know hey what's going on you know what what's happening he's just journeying with them on this road on this journey and and they say you know they think he's clueless they, they think he's out of it. It's almost funny. They're saying, don't you know what's going on? Are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened? That this person, this Messiah, has supposed Messiah has been crucified and we are discouraged because he's dead? And instead of Jesus being confused, they were confused. And Jesus clarified himself with what? The word of God the word. He appealed to the Bible to explain himself. In fact, in verse 32 of Luke 24, it says, no, back up a bit. Verse 27 of chapter 24, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Christ interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What's the Bible all about? It's all about Jesus. Jesus. I got to skip ahead to an illustration because I just want to give it now. Listen, it's like if you're pointed in a direction towards, you know, hey, go there, look there, explore this, experience that to find Jesus and you don't find him, that's very unsatisfying. It's like being given bad directions. Who hates, let's just confess, we're in church, who hates being given bad directions? All right, now let's go, let's go a level deeper. I'm going to meddle now. Who gets frustrated over being lost? Have you ever been lost and frustrated? Yeah, I've never been frustrated that way either. Um, but anyway, it, you know, great temptations could come to your heart when you're going the wrong way and you're turning the wrong direction and you don't know where you're going. Well, listen, I think there's a lot of people who are believers who are very frustrated because they're pointed in wrong directions, To find Jesus, they're pointed away from the roadmap. They're pointed away from the revelation. This is the place where you find Jesus. Jesus is revealed in Scripture. Should be no mistaking what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. God has revealed Himself to you. Will you choose to open yourself up to Him? That's the message. God has revealed Himself. He has spoken. Will you open yourself up to him? Jesus wanted to anchor the two on the road to Emmaus. Verse 32 um, shows us this. Remember, Jesus had a meal with them. He ate with them. He talked to them. He explained the whole Old Testament concerning himself to them. And, and then they begin to recognize him. They're, Whoa, we're, it's dawning on us who's, who's sitting, who we're sitting with. And the Holy Spirit was opening their eyes. Says, As their eyes were opened, Jesus vanishes he did that, I think, to make a point. He made the point that, listen, as believers, you can find Jesus in the word of God. Verse 32, they said this, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? He wanted these disciples to carry on even after Jesus had ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the way to carry on in the Christian life is by being in the scriptures. Well, the second point of, uh, of this psalm, Psalm 19, is this. God has communicated and reveals himself through the Bible, through special revelation. This is verses 7 through 14. That's what we're going to cover uh, this week and at least next week um, to finish this psalm off. But verse 7, I just want to say this. The very first phrase of verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. You see that? That is a summary statement for the descriptions of the Bible that are to follow in this chapter. So this is the overarching statement the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is, in other words, totally and completely flawless and sufficient. And then the next following phrases, uh, you know, the second half of verse 7 all the way through verse 14, describe what that means for the Christian life. There are sort of 14 ways that that becomes powerful in your life, and we're going to talk about those 14 different ways um, in the coming next couple weeks, but we'll begin with the beginning of verse 7. This is special Revelation, the overarching statement, the law of the Lord is perfect. Let me begin with this phrase, um, verse 7. Look at this. The law, look at this phrase, of the Lord. you see those words? Um, the word Lord is Yahweh. It's the covenant name for God. God is a promise-keeping God, and he would use his name Yahweh, which means I am the self-existent God. I never had a beginning and I never had an end. I am God and there is no other. It's Yahweh, God, the Lord, the law of the Lord. Look, look at the other ways this phrase connects with the scripture. Look at um, um, the second half of verse seven, the testimony of the Lord. Do you see that again? This is repeated six different times. It's the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord. Look at verse eight, the precepts of the Lord. Verse 8 again, the commandment of the Lord. And then verse 9, the fear of the Lord, which is kind of symbolic of what the word of God draws out of your heart. You you begin to fear God as you study his word. Look at the end of verse 9, the rules of the Lord. What is that saying? Simply this, the word of God originates from God. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we need to experience the Holy Spirit. And that is outside of Scripture. It's some extra, you know, experience that you have that's not just part of the normal flow of the Christian life. And by having this experience, you, you go to another level spiritually. And I just want to reiterate to you that the Holy Spirit wrote this book. The Word of God is inspired, or literally, 2 Timothy 3.16, breathed out by God. The Holy Spirit made every word that's in this book that is the Bible. The Holy Spirit created the word of God through the New Testament, through apostles and through their close associates, through the prophets of the Old Testament. That is how we got the word of God. The word of God inspired these writers to write in certain ways at certain times to certain people for certain purposes. And the Holy Spirit has assembled all of this Word of God for us. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of thy Word is truth. This is the Word of God. John 10, Jesus said it best. He said, The Scripture cannot be broken. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter the apostle, who was one of the apostles who was on the Mount of Transfiguration, who heard the voice of the Lord audibly from heaven. Where Jesus, where, where God the Father was commending Jesus and was saying, This is my beloved son, listen to him. That's the scene on Mount Transfiguration. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Peter is reiterating to the church that even though he had that incredible experience hearing audibly the word of God from heaven, he says, look, we have a more sure word. It's the word of God that was given through the prophets. It's holy scripture. Word of God. There's, there's a real reason why we have an objective, clear, written Word of God to us, black words on a white page, frozen here for us to read. You know why? Because the world spins around us, trends come and go, culture comes and goes, things happen, situations happen, tough times happen, earthquake, life earthquakes happen. Where can you run for shelter? Where can you find solid footing and foundation? Where can you be rooted in your relationship with Christ? Where can you run to find Jesus? In his word. Look, the Holy Spirit, his whole emphasis for writing the word of God, as as he's called in the New Testament, the spirit of truth, is to reveal Jesus Christ to us. The third member of the Trinity exalts Christ through Scripture in our life, and he illuminates the word of God in our lives as we commune with him. It's the word of God, and it is sufficient for your life. David, uh, he uses an interesting word here in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. That word um, perfect, tamim in the Hebrew, it means it's flawless, it's without error, the scripture cannot be broken. It means that it's all perfect. Guess what? The whole Bible is inspired. If you've got a red letter Bible, your black letters in your Bible are as inspired as the red ones. Even though, you know, the red letters are um, the teachings directly from the mouth of Christ, it's all equally inspired. Your Old Testament is as inspired as the New Testament. You can't pit Old Testament against New Testament. You can't pit Scripture against Scripture. It's all infallible. It's inerrant. And it's all authoritative for our life as we apply it appropriately. It's inspired. It's perfect. And you know what that means practically for you? It's sufficient. God put everything in this book that you need to grow spiritually. Now, the word of God was never meant to say everything about everything historically or scientifically, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, philosophically. But let me tell you this. The word of God is the standard for everything that we understand. It is the grid through which we should filter our understanding of life and how to live and what to love and what to do and who to worship. That is the significance of the Word of God. And as our culture disintegrates and tells us lies, we have to stand together for truth. And I'm telling you, it's not going to get done through Christendom or through, you know, being a nation that's that's founded on Judeo-Christian ethics. I mean, that's wonderful. We appreciate that. We're glad for that. But ultimately, the church is the salt and light in our country, in our nation. And we need to be a a, haven, a safe haven for people to run so that they can hear truth contrary to what the world promotes out there. It's sufficient. Uh, John MacArthur, he's a, a man who preached the word of God, has preached the word of God for some 40 years. He put it this way about this verse. He said, there is nothing essential for you to know that is not there. It's essential. Everything essential for life and godliness is found in the Bible. So, special revelation God reveals himself through the Bible. God's word is sufficient. This is the overarching statement. Now let me begin to go into 14 ways, and we're only going to cover a few of these, but 14 ways that the Bible affects your life. It's sufficient, so what does that mean for you? How is the Bible powerful for your life? Number one, God's word revives the weary soul. That's right. A weary soul look at this in verse seven reviving the soul. you know what that makes the clear assumption for? it clearly assumes that at times you are spiritually dry. It's okay to say that I mean you know let's just sort of wipe off the the Sunday smile for a second. I, it, there are times where your soul is bone weary and the Bible makes that clear assumption. That's why familiar psalms like Psalm 23, just a few pages over or one page over in your Bible, is so important to go back to, even though you might have it memorized or you learned it in Sunday school. This is clearly a psalm, Psalm 23, that reflects what David is saying in Psalm 19. Listen, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, God is my father and my shepherd, you're all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. Look at this. Here's the same phrase. He restores my soul. Do you need your soul to be restored and refreshed? You can find it in the word of God. There's a lot of places for refreshment, but the word of the living God is where we find soul food. There are times where you'll be desperate. This also assumes this. It assumes that, you need the word of God to come to life in the first place. There are people who are dead spiritually, and there are people who are all but dead spiritually. And then you have people who are growing spiritually. But you have the dead, and you have the barely alive. And guess what? The word of God addresses both. In 2 Timothy 3.15, it's right above the classic verse about inspiration, Paul is telling Timothy to re-grasp The word of God. He's getting ready to exhort Timothy to preach the word of God as a preacher. And he's saying, listen, you've known the sacred scriptures since childhood, which were able to lead you to salvation. The scripture is what brings people to life. James 1 talks about this, how the seed of the word of God is what brings life. First Peter also talks about this. We're, we're brought forth by the word of truth, James 1.18. We're born again by the seed imperishable, the living and abiding word of God. Listen, I, you know, I grieved with um, people this week. I've, I've grieved with, you know, in counseling rooms. I, I grieve for people who are hurting. I grieve over my own failings. And, and I find solace in the Bible. This is where, where you find Jesus. Where do you find your help? In the Bible. I mean, uh, we can talk maybe next week about some tracks to run on, some ways to meet with God, um, some disciplined ways to set yourself up for success this year. But I find my grounding in the scripture. Otherwise, listen, my life would be an utter mess. I know myself. I know what kind of roller coaster ride I could become And when life gets really hard, and I do not have clear direction, and I'm looking at life through the emotional grid of my own aches and pains and sufferings and failings and and goals that I believe aren't being met or whatever, the only place I can go to is the Bible. If there's one lesson I've learned since being here so far, that's the only refuge I have is the Bible. Bible. Listen, I would commend that to you because it's not the only refuge. It is the right refuge. I've been in physical earthquakes before. And, you know, they tell you, hey, stand in the door jam. You'll be fine, you know. I never felt so safe, you know, staying in the building that could crumble on me in Southern California. I don't know. Uh, But uh, I'm telling you, as life is crumbling around you, the safe haven and shelter is the word. That's the place to go. Look, God's word outlasts everything. Um, that's another subpoint, and I, I find that in this next phrase, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Isaiah said it best: "The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever." Look, the word of God is transcultural. It's transpolitical. It's trans-economical. It's transpsychological. It's transphysiological. It's transattitudinal. It's transsituational. It's trans. Phenomenological. It's trans experiential. I practiced that. That was a fail. All right. It's all good. But it does supersede everything. It transcends phenomenon. It transcends experience. It transcends everything. It transcends tough times. It's there for you. It's the rock and refuge. The testimony of the Lord is sure. There are people, um, and I was reading about this debate where someone was debating, a pastor was debating another evangelical um, um, pastor who was standing for a homosexual denomination, and in the debate, one pastor said, what do you do with the Bible's condemnations of homosexuality as sin? And the response, the response was this, and I, again, homosexuality is a sin like um, any other. Um, it's one that's in our news a lot, and that's why I'm bringing it up, but I, you know, it's the same gospel that delivers people from sin that needs to be applied to a homosexual as any other sin. Um, but here's a response um, that this denomination denomination leader this pastor um, was defending um, homosexuality against the Bible, he said, oh, come on, everybody knows that the Bible is psychologically unsophisticated, reflecting years of primitive thinking. The Bible is antiquated in its sociological theory. You cannot go to an ancient document like this and expect to deal with 20th century social problems. The Bible ought to stay in its own environment. It needs to be updated with a contemporary understanding of psychological and sociological phenomena. You want that as your pastor? No, no, but listen, let me tell you this, as shocking as a statement like that is, that's normal talk around here now. That is what churches embrace. They might say it a little less aggressively, but when people want their pet, you know, non-biblical thing to happen in a church, when they want to sort of skirt the issues or, or skirt the, the hard passages and not say the hard thing they just say well that you know that verse is outdated that doesn't apply that's just uh you know you just need to interpret that back in those days but that doesn't carry forward to today we have to be careful we have to rightly divide the word of truth we have to be bereans we have to be students of the word of god and when we stand on the word of god and stand by conviction guess what god blesses his church I mean, for centuries, people have suffered persecution. Why? Because people are standing for things that make other people feel uncomfortable. And how do we get there? Well, we get there by going, on well, I to just go with what the Bible says, and whatever happens, happens. That's Christianity, and the Lord leads us in that way, and people don't want to hear the word of God. Satan has blinded the mind of the unbelieving, 2 Corinthians 4. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8, why do you not understand what I say? He's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, It is because you cannot bear to hear my word, you're of your father the devil. Well, the word of God, it's not only sure, it's one last thing, and I want to point this out. It makes people wise. Look at this in verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now to be simple, um, that Hebrew word means that you have an open door. It means you're gullible. Um, you're just open to any and everything. You're maybe you're in the church and you're carried along by every wind of doctrine, you, you just you, you drink the Kool-Aid, you follow the hype, you follow the trends, or maybe you're outside of the church and you're just simple minded because you're you're not spiritually alive yet. Well, wisdom, by contrast of being open-door gullible, is understanding truth. And put more specifically, it's understanding the big questions about life because God gives us clarity on great mysteries that people don't understand. Um, To be wise isn't to have a sharp IQ. I'm thankful for that. Um, It's not to be intellectually elite. Um, There's a lot of smart Christians, and then there are people who are not as smart as Christians, but they can still be wise. You can still be wise. A child who understands truth can be wise and can have wisdom that supersedes the greatest intellectual. There's a lot of smart people who are not smart um, spiritually. There's a lot of very intelligent artists, inventors, economic geniuses, political strategists. You have people who, who run companies, who, who lead corporations. You have people who are, who are a genius over, over sports and all kinds of things in our world. You have scientists. You have artists. You have writers. You have computer technological geniuses that are out there doing all these wonderful things who do not have clue one about where they come from, why they sin, why their heart hurts, where people go when they die. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there a God? Which one is it? I don't understand. Maybe it's all put together. Um, Who is the devil? Is there ever going to be justice justice against wrongs that are happening in our world? Why are we at war? Why do the nations rage? Why are these things happening to us? Are we alone on this planet? Where are we going? What happens? Do we just become annihilated when we die? Hey, guess what? There are all kinds of Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth scholars out there there who don't have clue one about those realities is homosexuality a sin or not is immorality a sin or not if it feels good why don't I do it why don't I taste this why don't I become an anarchist why do I why don't I rebel why don't I why should I follow the government why do I love people wait I hate people I don't know what's going on where am I what's happening why can't I sleep at night blah 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 it's because they haven't understood special revelation. And I'm telling you, a seven, eight, nine, little Jack that gave his testimony in the waters of baptism last week, he knows more than those people know because he knows God's word at a child's level. We have the word of God. Can you get excited about the word of God? Amen? We need to read the Bible to understand the truth. Hollywood is trying to answer these questions. If you see movies and shows, I mean, they always come up to a certain point and they almost ask questions that they really don't have the solution for. And we actually do have the solution. Psalm 119, 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. All comes down to one thing will you make the choice this year the moral decision to know god through the revelation of holy scripture god has revealed himself in a personal way will you open yourself up to him my prayer is that you'll make that commitment this morning isaiah 55 i i know we're sort of launching into the communion let me begin our communion time by asking the men to come forward um, to serve the bread for us. And before we um, take a time to meditate, I want to read Isaiah 55, 6 through 11. And this, this, is, this is the prophet's call for believers to encounter God through the word. Just bow your heads and listen to this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. On the spirit of meditation and taking a time of examination and repentance, let's keep our heads bowed and meditate on the gospel that gives us the grace to go on and to make these kinds of commitments to meet with God this year. As you're meditating, we can play play under that and and pass the bread at this time.